0: all right welcome back to Lindroth Hockey Podcast we're a partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions LLC you're here with co-host father and son duo Andrew and Jim Lindroth dad how are you doing today I'm doing great and I'm excited for our guest because
1: this is an east coast guy and he comes to Tulsa regularly yeah we haven't met him in person yet but I'm sure if the podcast go fine we'll we'll see him uh, quite a bit and um He's a tough guy, tough as nails guy. Yep. So there's the suspense. Go ahead and give us the intro.
0: Yeah, so today we have with us Jeremy Gates. So Jeremy attended and played for Newman College and Newman University from 2008 to 2011. He signed his first pro contract with the Pensacola Flyers and the SPHL in 2012 and played between the SPHL and ECHL until 2017. After concluding his playing career, Jeremy immediately jumped into coaching and joined the Pensacola Flyers as an assistant coach from 2018 to 2019 and is currently serving as an assistant coach for the Rapid City Rush, like my dad said, in ECHL, and has been since 2019. So, without uh, further ado, please welcome our guest today, Jeremy Gates. How are you yeah, doing good. today, man?
2: Good. Thank you for having me very much. I really appreciate it. Look forward to it.
0: So, Jeremy, let's, let's start back with your playing career. So, you played and attended uh, Newman College and University for a few years and later took the jump to pro hockey and began in the Southern Professional Hockey League the SPHL. What was the story of uh, you getting offered that first
2: pro contract? Well that yeah that actually was a really uh, really cool story. Uh, I signed with the Pensacola Ice Flyers down in Pensacola like you said and um, one of my college teammates Kaylee Schrock uh, was playing in the in for the Fort Wayne Commons for a couple of years prior and uh, growing up in Michigan, I was only about two hours away from Fort Wayne. So I would work out with uh, him in the summer, and uh, they had some skates, especially when I got closer to training camp. Uh, I was all slated to go down to Pensacola. I went into training camp, or I, um, when training camp started for Fort Wayne, I just went back to Jackson for about a week to, before I headed down. I got a call from one of the players, uh, and now an assistant coach in the AHL, Colin Chalk. Uh, who had been skating with us as well, and, and he was the captain of the team, and he uh, had spoke to the head coach, and I guess one of their defensemen failed a physical uh, for whatever reason, and asked if uh, I wanted to just get a professional tryout and fill in uh, for the Fort Wayne Comets, and so I went on a PTO to Fort Wayne. Uh, it was a great experience. I did not expect anything at all. Uh, I played really well. I think that was probably One of the reasons I played well, because I didn't have any expectations for myself and I was in great shape and I was skating with those guys quite a bit. And I ended uh, ended up making their team out of training camp, uh, which was a a dream come true for me because I got to play my first ever professional hockey game in in front of my uh, mom and dad and a whole bunch of my family members that came down in Fort Wayne, the home opener, which I don't know if you guys have been to uh, Fort Wayne's rink, but it was a sellout. It was 10,500 people there for my first ever pro game. It meant a lot to me because my parents uh, uh worked so hard for me to be able to play hockey so it meant a lot to me and it was uh the butterflies in your stomach for that game was awesome and then just like it happens they had a bunch of uh guys sent down from the AHL defensemen and so then i went back uh down to pensacola to start uh, that part of the career and it was just uh, a bunch of loans and calls and send downs from there
1: so what what does happen because uh one of the questions i have here is you know your first year like you just said you you split your time between the SPHL, the CHL, and the East Coast League. So um, is Pensacola and Fort Wayne, was it two separate organizations? Uh, was it just you had a relationship with two different coaches? How were you able to kind of be loaned out or flip-flop leagues? Because that's a lot of playing time, too.
2: Right. So my, my first year, my rookie year in pro, was, it was a whirlwind. There was a lockout that year for, for a while and uh, t- uh the chl i think it was the last year of the chl uh, but when in regards to your question um gary graham was the head coach down in pensacola it was his first year as a head coach uh prior to ironically enough he was the assistant coach in fort wayne and uh he left his assistant coach job in fort wayne to get his head coaching job in pensacola so uh the connection there was because he worked with al sims a uh, legendary coach um for several years and and that was kind of the the end there and then once I went down to Pensacola they uh, Fort Wayne knew uh who I was they saw me on the ice they had me play games for them so whenever they needed a guy they they called me up I, I spent a good chunk of time there and then I, they sent me back down once and I was there I was in Pensacola for about a week and then Bloomington and the CHL called me up and uh so I went from Fort Wayne to Pensacola to Fort Wayne to Pensacola to Bloomington uh, and, uh, then Bloomington, uh, was not going to make the playoffs and Fort Wayne was in a playoff push. And because of the lockout, it was, um, typically you couldn't do it, but you could jump from the CHL to the ECHL, uh, that year, you can make like a, the sideways jump. Uh, and Fort Wayne called me, uh, when I was in Bloomington, the CHL, and, and I had, I had a great time in Bloomington. I had good teammates and things like that. The organization was, uh, um, I would say suffering a bit and, and uh, there was some hardships there as well so I decided to jump back over to Fort Wayne. Uh, they take great care of you and then uh, uh, their playoff push or our playoff push ended up not um, working out there so they just sent me back down to Pensacola where I was playoff eligible, uh, played in the playoffs for Pensacola and won a championship my my rookie year so it was a lot of moving, a lot of moving parts but And ended up with a championship and with with a lot of great teammates. And when you win a championship on the beach, it's it's quite nice, especially with the weather.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty nice. So, what was that first experience of coming out of college and all of a sudden you're playing with men? And SPHL is, you know, for our listeners that might not know, I mean, that league can be very very rough, which we'll talk about later. But what was what was your experience when you first jump into playing with real men with beards and muscles (laughs) well yeah
2: i mean it was um it definitely was a jump the biggest thing was yeah you're playing with men that are earning paychecks and uh especially the older guys may have may have kids or they're married uh this is their profession and it's not college where um you know obviously there's the uh you know the novelty of you know being treated well and being popular on campus because you play on a team uh this is it was a business it's an organization um, you know, I, the, the, vets were always great, especially my early years of uh, acclimating, but on the ice itself, you definitely have, there's a time period where you have to, uh, I'll say get hardened to pro hockey because people, when you play hockey, they don't, they, they don't care if, uh, you know, you block a shot, that's just your job kind of deal. You know, um, you're there to perform, you're there to do well, you do get taken care of and, and you, and you build these great relationships with people in the hockey world. Uh, like, like you guys probably know that. Um, I mean, it, it is, it's a, it's a jump. Uh, the speed is a factor too. I, I remember, uh, my first ever game pro game in Fort Wayne, I was in great shape. I played in preseason games and then the real, the regular season hit. And I remember there was a turnover in the neutral zone. And as a defenseman, I was coming up to the play through the neutral zone and there was a turnover and those guys were coming back quick and they were, uh, they were making, you know, plays right away. And I just remember like your, your gap control, Uh, your skating is just so important. And it was, uh, it was definitely uh, a chance for those guys in pro where we're taught to be systematical to use their skill uh, through turnovers and, and, um, you know, mistakes from the other team. And so having all these guests come on our show uh, the
0: past eight or nine months, however long we've been doing it, you know, one of the things that, you know, my father and I've learned a lot about through our research and talking with these players and everything is that, uh, You know the different leagues, uh, whether it be the European leagues, other American professional leagues. What, how would you describe the SPHL? Because I know there's not too too many hockey fans out there, unless they're you know real serious hockey fans that know about the league. How would you compare it to other leagues like the ECHL, for instance?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I I I think that I think when the SPHL first started, it was a really really rough league, and I don't know if I would have been able to play play in it. (laughs) Uh, but the, there was definitely a lot of structure still. It was professional. Uh, it's a business. It was in the, the skill level obviously is not as high as the ECHL. Uh, there are players that have no problem playing in the ECHL. There's been NHLers that played in the SPHL. It's just part of the development stage of your career. Uh, and it's becoming more and more so nowadays um, with, with the, the rough and tumble kind of hockey uh, being part of the game, not, not the game. So, um, the SPHL has evolved in the, in the sense of skill level. Uh, but yeah, from the, my first year in the SPHL to the last time I put in the SPHL, uh, the skill level over, like improved quite a bit. And, um, the depth of teams maybe wasn't as high as, uh, some teams in the ECHL, but there are players in that league that can play and, and uh, there's good hockey players, good people. And obviously, it's just uh, part of the structure. I like to tell people who don't know much about hockey, uh, if you if you treat the NHL like similar to the MLB in baseball, uh, we're all just farm systems, single A, double A, triple A. And if you think of it like that, uh, you get into a system and, and you try to work your way up through there. And so from what
0: I obviously remember, CHL merged with the ECHL. Yeah. But you played for both leagues during that season. So what how would you now compare the CHL then to the ECHL, especially after they had merged? I mean, what, what was that league then like?
2: Yeah, that's, that's another really good question. I, I, I remember when I was in the ECHL, like I, I was very green. It was my rookie year, and I was just going, trying to play at the highest level of hockey I possibly could. And when I was in the ECHL, it was uh, younger, fast, um, in-your-face hockey. Um, you know, the, the players were, were hungry. And, and then when I went to the CHL, the players were a little bit older, more veteran type players, and they were crafty and they were smart. So I think that the CHL had a lot of um, players that were very crafty, very skilled, uh, had a little had a little more years and games experience. And the ECHL was more green and, and, and really high level skill guys, uh, more affiliated with the CHL or the NHL, excuse me. And then they uh, they merged together and uh, some teams moved over and made the jump and then other teams dissolved from there.
1: So for those of our listeners that don't know Jeremy specifically, he's a big guy, 6'4", over 200 pounds. So all you have to do is just Google you or, or do a YouTube uh, search, and you'll find uh, – or, 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 or yeah. go to the good old hockeyfights.com, yep. and, uh, you know, you get an entire fight card. So <laughs> was, was the physical aspect of the game something that you always tried to take advantage of because of your size, or was it just sort of your personality – uh, how you approached the game, you were more on the physical side, or was it something you had to do because of your size?
2: Uh, you know, I think it was a combination of it all. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a human at first and the thought of fighting growing up was pretty scary. Um, you know, I remember I got into, I'll tell you a story about my father. I got into my first ever hockey fight. I think it was in ma- like a major, major tryout or a junior, junior A tryout maybe and i really didn't know what i was doing and my dad must have just he must have just been <laughs> <I'm> like ah because <laughs> i had a couple eggs on my head and my forehead my face and i think i, I think i got the rough side of that and i didn't know what i was doing so one, one summer um you know i was skating and working out and working at home um and he took me and he said, would you like to get boxing lessons? It'll keep you in really, really good shape. And it will just teach you basics. So about for about three, four months, I just took boxing lessons after. And luckily it was right by right in the back of our, uh, our ice rink back home in Jackson. So, uh, I went there, I worked out, I, I never sparred with anyone. I just jumped rope a lot and then, uh, learned how to hit the bag and protect myself. And, uh, from there I, I grew after high school, I was probably five foot 11 when I graduated high school. So I was kind of a a late a late bloomer in that sense, and knew that with the style that I played, um, you know, if it did happen, I want to be able to protect myself. So um, I was not a heavyweight by any stretch. I probably would have gotten my face kicked in by a lot of the heavyweights, uh, but I would stick up for teammates. And and uh, when things would um, go a certain way on the ice, I didn't have a problem with it. And, and you know, I would uh, I remember times going to the box after getting into a fight, and it's almost like you black out during the fight, and you just or you're just so in it because uh, hockey is a very emotional sport, and I would just come, come, come back to really and, and just be like, what? what, That was crazy. What was I doing? There's a thousand <laughs> of fans watching me do
1: this. It's crazy. So let's um, we always uh, uh talk a little bit about this uh, with guests that aren't afraid to drop the gloves, stick up for their teammates. So and we watched a few videos of you uh fighting, and we're certainly not experts in it, but can you can you talk to us a little bit about strategy? So. We notice when, especially in the um, SPHL, you know, they like to, you, you like to drop the glove, maybe even the helmet. You circle, you know, you're making a big deal about we're going to start, you know, to, to fight, so to speak. And it might be a couple jabs. How do you know, are you sizing up the player at that point? And when you first kind of jab and then no one's really attacking, but then all of a sudden, boom, you go in. What, what are you looking for when you're doing that?
2: Well, to be really honest, I never liked squaring off for too long because your brain has a million thoughts going through your head. Uh, I never liked it. I was I liked being the emotional side, getting right into it. Uh, honestly, uh, since I'm a taller guy, uh, I would size up how tall they were as well, uh, and then try to place my. I'm, I was per, I was you know right-handed dominant when when doing that, and I would try to grab a firm grip on the left hand where I could string. Uh, someone away from me because I did not want to get hit in the face. Um, and then just uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, be aware. Sometimes the best uh, defense is going on offense and getting in, uh, you know, a couple licks, you know, attempt to the best you can. Um, the strategy was to just do what you can and, and not get your, your face punched. And um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. You don't really feel it until afterwards. Uh but it, yeah, it, I did not like thinking when it was comes to squaring off, I like getting right into it with a guy uh, that was, you know, obviously a willing combatant. So I, I, I definitely not an expert in the fighting department. I just kind of did it raw, raw emotionally. And, and uh, you know, in, it was usually at a good time when it came to, you know, if a guy agreed to do it, 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 you know, I would, I would be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it a little bit afterwards, once I realized I wasn't hurt. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean I, I did break my hand a few times too and I've been punched in the face and in uh, and my nose bleeding you know it's it just it, it happens and um, definitely some, when I look back on it as I've gotten older and more years away from that uh, I, I mean it, it's crazy to to think about some of the some of the guys that you fought because I never really wanted to hurt anyone either it just was part of the game.
0: So, Jamie, I'm definitely curious for your opinion then on the uh, ECHL 10-game fight rule. Um, I know it's not a 10-game fight ban, but you start getting suspended after 10 fights. And we actually had a Tulsa tough guy, Mike McKee, on the show a couple of weeks ago. We had asked him that question, and he he said he hates the rule, thinks that it's not really doing much. So it was interesting to get a you know perspective from the, from a player's perspective. What is your perspective on it?
2: You know, 10 fights in a year is a lot. Now, I, I, I'm very familiar with Mike McKee. He is tough. He is a big guy, and it's been part of his career, uh, his whole career. So I can understand his standpoint on that for sure. Um, I, I think 10 fights in a year is quite a bit, and I think that it does help the safety of the players. Uh, but, it, I mean, if everyone on your team, and let's say you have just for rough numbers 20 guys on the team that get 10 fights, not everyone fights, first of all, but if everyone did, that's 200 fights in a year. Um, that's a lot. And if every team has that, that's quite a bit. So uh, I think a big thing is uh, today's world of what we know now with brain injuries and um, you know, how we keep our helmets on and things like that. Um, I, I do, I do think the rule is in place for that reason. Uh, i really have no opinion whether I agree or disagree with it. I can understand someone like Mike McKee or we have Garrett Kloss here uh, could think uh, differently on it. Uh, those guys are way, way above my weight class and, and uh, obviously have done that a lot in their career. So I, I can understand that. And, and you know, what, it's in, it, it's in place for a reason. So uh, now I have no problem with it. And so because
0: I figured the ECHL is so pretty wild and I'm sure fights probably happen more often than the ones in the NHL. But, you know, you start to laugh because you're starting to see videos being posted around. I know it's nothing new, but, you know, like guys like uh, Reeves teaching the new uh, rookie how oh, to yeah. fight and everything. You're seeing that a lot now. And we had on Doug Smith, who was the fight coach at one point for uh, Providence Bruins, and he's talking strategy and everything. So do you guys, during practice at all, not, not you know the tough guy on the team taking time out from practice to show a couple of players, but do you guys have a time where, as a team, you kind of say, okay, today we're going to learn how to defend ourselves, not get your ass beat out there. Do you guys have that, or is that not a focus
2: anymore? Uh, from the coaching side of things, not at all. Uh, we... we, we... I will say so every coach is different. I, I, I personally in my coaching life would have never asked a guy to go fight. I've never told a guy to go fight. I know that was the way it sometimes would be, or kind of an untold thing, um, you know, back in the prior days, especially when you watch uh, the older clips, um, a lot of times like, like Ryan Reeves is doing, like you described, that happens at the end of practice, uh, when the guys are working on skill stuff and usually it is the heavyweight, like the Ryan Reeves or or we have Derek Kotts. Um, you know, he he's taught guys just how to defend themselves if they're in a situation like that. And, and you know, it, you can I've talked to some of the players about it as well and they've asked me questions and, and I just share what, what I did and everyone's different. And I, I I will say that I'm still to this day. I cannot help anyone um, uh, if they're a lefty because I was always a righty and I've only fought a couple lefties in my day and they usually win because I don't know what to do <laughs> and, I, and I don't expect their, their left hand or left fist coming right in my face. So, um, yeah, they, I mean, th- those guys take care of that stuff. Um, we never ask anyone to fight. It just happens in hockey. But, uh, you know, like like you said, Mike McKee was on the show. Garrett Klotz, they, they have no problem if, at any time if anyone wants to do that stuff. And you know what? Um, I'm sitting on the bench with the head coach, and we have the best seat in the house to watch it. So I'm cheering, cheering for whoever wants to put themselves on the line like that.
1: Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So bring us through then the, the moment where you're playing a, one of your first pro games, and whether you, it's an assist, a goal, some sort of play that you finally said, you know what? I belong here. Cause I'm sure it's a big, you know, question of, you know, I got to prove something I've got to do. When was that moment where you just said, you know what? I, I, I belong here as a pro. Do you remember any moment a goal or?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, it goes back to the first ever pro game that I played in Fort Wayne. I had my whole family there. Um, not just my parents. I had, you know, aunts, uncles, gra- like grandma, grandpa, my friends uh, from back home. And I remember, um, uh, Like I said, it was, it was sold out 10,500 in Fort Wayne. I had never played in front of that many people in my life. And I remember after warm up, uh, you know, they had the lights out in the production, and, uh, you know, the, the music going and, and the starting lineups and things like that. And, and I was skating around, I remember with the lights were out uh, prior to the national anthem. Uh, and it was just buzzing in there and I had butterflies in my stomach and I remember my legs felt, uh, weak just for that moment skating around just because I was looking around and, you know, I was, it was just proud of myself, but I was also proud of everything that not just me, but my family worked for and supported me through, uh, to get to that moment. And and then that's really was the moment where I felt like I I belonged and, and I earned some, I earned what I was dreaming of doing, trying to get to the NHL. So talk to us a little bit about, and we'll stick
1: uh, just from your playing perspective, and then we could talk to your coach's perspective in, in a little bit. So from a player perspective, you know, ECHL, you know, known for the three and three, and for our listeners, three games and three nights, uh, uh, a lot of bus rides, but the three and three, I mean, oh my gosh, how did you as a player or as a team, how did you guys build the endurance to be able to do three games and three nights and be consistent?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Three games of three nights is is tough uh, physically as a player. It really is. It's, it's even mentally draining. Uh, a lot of players, including myself, don't sleep well after games. Uh, you play at seven o'clock uh, Friday, Saturday, let's say, and then you, you get out of the rink at, you know, 10, 30, 11 and your adrenaline's going. You're hungry. And then you you reflect on your game because everything happens so fast. And then you wake up in the morning, you got to do it again. And a lot of times those three, on three, three and three is the, uh, the third game, is usually in the afternoon on a Sunday. So it's a, it's a really, really quick turnaround. Physically, it's draining. Um, a lot of cold tubs help. Eating healthy. Um, Hydration, it's, it's ex- extremely key. A lot of fans uh, really don't understand how um, the players take care of their bodies. They truly do. And there's bumps and bruises throughout the whole year. And you just get through it. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's an entertainment factor uh, for the fans and for the revenue growth of, uh, you know, especially in the minors. So, uh, we don't have a choice. We're getting paid to do it and it's our profession. And, and sometimes you, you played, you play great in those games too. Sometimes you feel great, but I, I do recall, uh, cold tubs were were huge for me and, um, just, just getting, uh, your legs moving.
1: So, uh, I remember talking after a game to, uh, Rob Murray, Tulsa Oiler coach and talking to Murray and, uh, and he and I remember asking him real quick about what's the difference between when you were playing compared to the guys that you that are under you. And he said, you know, after a game he'd go and drink a six packs with the boys, but now these younger players and you're certainly still young enough that I mean, you do you were playing in just a few years ago that you guys take care of your body. It's almost like uh, like the NHLers do. Right. You're careful of what this. you eat, the working out, the discipline. Um, I mean, what does it take? for a player to be that disciplined to stay on track. I mean, it's not like old hockey of the eighties and seventies. I mean, it's a fast game.
2: Yeah. Um, really, really to just stay on track is just, uh, uh, the reason why you're there, the reason why you are, you were the kid in the driveway shooting pucks is just, you love to do it. Uh, so you're willing to do anything to be able to have the opportunity to play and stay. Uh, that's a big part of it. And and, and just the passion for the game. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, You know, when there's a green light to have fun, yeah, enjoy yourself, be a human. Um, But every day when you are playing pro hockey, you're thinking about hockey, and then there seems like there's just everything else around it. Um, Yeah, it's, it's extremely grueling, but I, I would never change anything. It's so enjoyable and it's quite a ride because you, you do get treated well. And when you perform well, you obviously get treated well too. So it's finding that balance, I think, um, from being a player and being a human, uh, but also recognizing that, you you know, you're, you're bigger than um, um, you're, you're not bigger than your team, but things are bigger than what, what uh, you know, they are mentally for you. You're, you're driving yourself, your body physically, mentally, uh, so anything you can do to take care of yourself, just to give yourself some sort of upper edge. But at the end of the day, it all just comes back to wanting to do it because you're passionate about hockey.
0: So going now into your coaching days, uh, obviously your first job, you, you went back to your professional, your first pro alma mater the Four Wayne Commons, but the SPHL with Pensacola Flyers. So um, what was it like being able just to go back, especially, the, you know, your first year you won the championship with them? What was it like to be able to go back and, and uh, be able to assist the team
2: in a different way? Yeah, that was, it was, it was truly what I wanted to do. Um, I'll, I'll just say quickly, once I stopped playing, I lived in Atlanta. Uh, my sister was living there. She helped me get started. on um, uh, the post playing career, uh, just like with living situations and, and, and finding a job. Uh, once I got an opportunity to be the, the assistant coach of Pensacola, the head coach, and he's still the head coach there right now, Rod Eldoff and the owner, Greg Harris um you know they they were always very very good to me um i always performed well for them as well so uh i always got along with rod and he really really was a mentor to me especially when he allowed me the opportunity to be the assistant coach they had never had an assistant coach there and they created the position for me which i'm extremely thankful for uh even to this day and the opportunity i had there and um it's a definitely a learning experience uh i was just telling the head coach here uh, I'm a young coach and I felt like right when it, I got my first, my first job as in coaching, I'm like, well, we're ready to win and I'm ready to be a head coach someday tomorrow. If I got asked, I'm ready to do it. And now I'm, I'm going in my fourth year now of being a professional hockey coach. And I've learned a heck of a lot. I've matured a heck of a lot more. And and there's a lot to do. The hockey stuff is the fun stuff when you're on this side of the desk. Uh, getting to the hockey stuff is wonderful there's so much administrative work there we're the hockey office department in, in, in our position is, you know, the head coach, assistant coach, equipment manager, athletic trainer. And we, uh, the assistant coaches get leaned on a lot to bridge the uh, communication from the front office to the players, to the coach, and also adhere to what we're trying to do on the ice. So the hockey stuff takes care of itself. That stuff is so enjoyable. I'm so passionate about it. Uh, everything else that goes with it is a real job and, and, and I like doing it and it's fun. Uh, but I mean, to, just to be able to do that and do hockey is, is wonderful for me and the passion of where I want to go. And I'm learning a heck of a lot along the way. Yeah. And one of the questions I wanted to follow up with
0: uh, was you know, as an assistant coach, especially in the ECHL level, and it was kind of, it's going to kind of ask it earlier too. But what are your specific job duties? And I know you kind of just listed it, but what are like the main ones that you really have to focus on? You know, are you are you watching over players a lot and their diets, making sure they're on it? Or is it more administrative stuff or running practices? What is your main concern for your job?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the head coach is is the, the, the person on teams that comes up with your system, your game plan, your how we're going to run things. Uh, I, my job is to adhere to that, uh, voice my opinion when asked. Uh, right now I, I'm running the penalty kill. So I do a special teams portion of that. I've uh, been doing that for the last couple of years. Um, I, I have to be prepared. Being, coaching is all about being prepared. And, and if, if, uh, if you're not prepared, then all the curveballs will throw you off what, what your goal is at the end of the day. So some of the other administrative duties that we've had to work with together, um, immigration, uh, flights. Yeah. Uh, in Rapid City, we fly everywhere to our locations. Um, hotels, making sure the rooming lists are there. Uh, gee I mean I could go on for a bunch of tedious things that come up throughout the day making sure we adhere to the CBA uh, the PHPA uh, then and then uh, just working with the arena working on our practice times our practice arena uh, making sure that uh, our equipment manager is good with everything that he's doing so uh, just bridging communication a lot of times is a huge thing and also taking care of uh, um, everything that I have on my desk right here I have sticky notes everywhere I'm kind of weird with sticky notes I have them everywhere but you know, it feels good to cross things out and get them accomplished. And then remember that I have to do things that are down the road. So it's all about being organized, being prepared. Um, but really hockey is the one thing that you want to be ultra, ultra prepared for. So your, your message and your delivery to your, to your guys is very clear and concise. So from the
1: coaches level here, and this could be not just assistant coach, but just, you know, the whole coaching umbrella, um, with the ECHL, our listeners that that don't know, you know, they they're like the A, So they they're the you know they have an NHL affiliate, and you have the American Hockey League, the AHL, uh, which is the AAA. So quite a bit, you have um, a lot of players that are assigned contracts with an NHL contract, and they've got to come down to you if they're not you know doing whatever the organization feels they move down to the AHL and they be moved down to the ECHL for rehab or whatever. So that forces regular contract ECHL players they they kind of have to take a seat to these contract players and I would assume it's a, bel- a delicate balancing act as a coach and the players to go, "Oh, so this guy's being sent down. So therefore I might not get the ice time or if I'm a goalie, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be playing much. How, how do you deal with that? Because it's not something you can
2: control. That comes from the uh, affiliates, right? Right. Yeah. There, there's a lot of give and take with that. You are, you nailed it on the head. So um, communication, uh, have it, the players trust if, if you just are honest, I find a lot of times if you're honest with the players and uh, what expectations are, um they, you know they they take things a lot better uh we're, we're all in a job and we're all uh, doing what we love also we're getting paid to do it so your professionalism with that and your communication being open and honest is, is a huge portion of that uh when a player comes down on, on a contract whether AHL or nhl uh, to us um we we don't honestly treat them any different our goal is for all our players to develop them we want to develop them And ultimately we want to win. Winning is the fastest way to get anyone anywhere uh, in our sport. Being a good human uh, with that is only going to make you uh, uh, grow more. Uh, So if a player is down here, whether it's for development reasons, for it's a discipline reason or whatever, uh, they're going to get the same treatment as everyone else. And their expectations to to do so um, are going to be the same in line with the culture of not just our affiliate, our organization here, our community. and, And, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're here to win, and what is going to happen? A lot of times, nine times out of ten, those players that are on NHL, AHL deals are good players. They are good players, and they're de- deserving. And they may get um, more opportunities than others, but we all have to earn our opportunities in our own way. Um, I never made it to the NHL, and I want to go there someday. And no one's gonna give it to me unless I do what what's right for an organization and really make a name for myself as well. And that's what the mentality we have with our players. We want to develop them to not just good hockey players, but good people as well.
1: So if you have the opposite situation where uh, say the uh, AHL team is pulling up a lot uh, and giving a PTO to a lot of uh, your players, then your short players, do you guys have, uh, I'm sure you guys always scout all the time, but is there a list of guys that you would pull up? Cause I noticed with the transaction list, uh, that, you know, you'll pull a guy in for PTO. He may play a few games, but I'm assuming you guys tell that player, Hey, look, you're filling a hole here. There's always going to be opportunities, but you know, your PTO is not going to last long and chances are, you know, don't, don't, don't get an apartment in your own name. In other words.
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's part of the job. It's just part of what we have to do. And yeah, we, we scout a lot. Um, we have lists everywhere uh, from each league that, of players we like. And then not only that, uh, the relationships that you have with coaches and in, in, let's say if we want to call up a player from the Southern Professional League, um, you know, obviously Rod Eldoff's still there. He's a great resource for me. And there's other coaches in that league that we speak to as well. And we want to try to get the best player to give him an op- uh, someone that's deserving of an opportunity. Now, uh, in saying that, a player's opportunity, it's up to them. And yeah, their, their opportunity might be limited in some roles, but how they go about their, their professionalism, how they go about their business is going to be the, the, the determining factor of how long they stay around a lot of times. And I've been a victim of it. Uh, I know I have been uh, just uh, guys were sent down and I got released. It's just part of the game. Uh, it's hard. You move your life everywhere. Um, but with that being said, we're all just chasing the same thing is the opportunity to be a better hockey player, and ultimately, every player that no matter if you're playing in the SPHL or the AHL, we all want to play in the NHL, and that's our goal. No matter how how it might not happen, some people play for um, you know to pr- produce um, you know money for their family. Some people uh, have bills to pay, so it's just a regular job in a lot of senses like that and there's a lot of challenges, and it's just part of being in the hockey world that we're in, and it's like that in a lot of sports, I think, and, and hockey is very unique in, in how close we are all together, and how uh, um, how small-knit and close the community is. So um, I'm assuming, I mean, you got to play in Florida, but
1: even in the East Coast League, you know, you got uh, a, a bunch of Florida teams as well, and on the East Coast, and I'm sure a lot of guys, especially, you know, if they're from the North, which most of them are, are happy to play down there, but like a place like Tulsa, even rapid city, you've been there in rapid city enough. Can you kind of talk about the culture that, that the coaching staff is trying to create to attract players there? Because uh, as the East coast league is now so big, um, you know, you, you it's not just plucking players at will. You've got to really attract players to your team as well. So, Uh, since you've been there, what are you guys doing to really develop a culture that players would want to come to rapid city?
2: Yeah, that I I really am thankful that you asked me this question because this place is wonderful. Um, You know, I played here a little bit uh, and I enjoyed my time here. We have a new head coach this year, Scott Burke Um, in, in his culture uh, ideas, cultural ideals are very, very similar to myself, and not only that, our, our organization, our ownership, uh, you know, Spire, um, Spire Sports and Entertainment, they own us as well as Greenville. Uh, they are a tremendous organization to work for, and they truly r- want to have this place be successful. And we fly everywhere. Uh, the players, uh, you know, they get their their ditch. uh they get you know equipment that is provided to them through. Uh, our team as well. They're treated very nice. Our apartments are wonderful. Uh, A big thing that is, um, Rapid City prior to this ownership used to bus everywhere and and everyone's like, well, Rapid City's on an island. If you ask anyone, Rapid City's on an island in ECHL. Our closest bus trip was probably, um, Kansas City, which is maybe 12 hours away. And that's the closest. Um, so it was difficult. So when the new ownership came, um, you know how are you gonna how are you gonna ask a player that you're recruiting to hop on a bus for 24 hours to play down in Texas and then and then drive all the way home and play on a Wednesday and and it's cold and we're a remote area. Um, it, it was a challenge, but when it comes to recruiting, the way that we have things set up here now, we just have to get the players here. And once we get them here, and that's on us to recruit them here. But once they're here, they they love it. They they truly do. And I, I'm not speaking for for anyone or out of turn, I, I really don't believe this. Our team last year was very, very close. They all love this area. Uh, it, and I encourage anyone that uh, has never been out this way than the Black Hills. It is a beautiful, beautiful area in this community. We're one of the smallest markets in the ECHL and our fan base in our arena is bumping it and it is a fun arena to play in. And we also have the best sites in the league. So uh, who wouldn't want to play on that?
1: Who's, uh, who's usually we ask this question at the end, but I'll ask all right. now. So in the ECHL, who has the worst ice conditions?
2: (laughs) Well, I haven't played in in years, but I have skated on the practices. You know, I am not going to, I'm not going to lie. In my experience, probably Wichita. uh, We had a game canceled because of their ice. And I remember the year prior to that, they had a hole in their ice. And what a beautiful arena. It is a beautiful, beautiful arena. Uh, the amenities are wonderful and the ice i've never seen so many uh, players complain about it it, to the point where it's almost dangerous uh and for whatever reason it's it's not great tulsa's ice is hit or miss depending on how many concerts are going through the the box center there um but i've skated on that ice in practice and it's been good and i've also skated on it and it looks like they they literally just picked up the the floor from the concert the night before and it was a little rough
1: yeah, and, and with Tulsa, it drives us crazy. It seems like every game of – yeah, something happens with the boards or the glass pops out, and then everybody looks at each other and they don't know what to do, and it's, you know, 20 minutes, and it screws up the game, I would assume. It screws up the momentum of the
2: game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's part of it. It's just – uh I'd I'd rather be sitting there waiting on the ice, waiting for the game to start up than, than a lot of other places though. So it's just, just roll the punches, I guess. And and it's, it's the guys, the players, you know, especially that you want to keep them, keep them going, keep them focused and keep them, uh, uh, you know, to the game plan.
0: And so uh, just the last question before we go into our lightning round questions, which uh, my dad will explain, I am curious, you know, you are just getting off the off season here. What, what is your routine like during the offseason for being assistant coach? Do you have a lot of other jobs? Is it just, you know, off? I mean, I'm curious what your, your job is during the offseason.
2: Yeah, a lot of it's recruiting, uh, talking to agents, talking to players. Um, you know, with the ECHL, we, we try to get the best players possible. So we're talking a lot of guys that are waiting on AHL contracts, a lot of college guys. We have lists together for, for college players um, uh, players that are veterans that are, that are no going to be, um, no longer property of other ECHL teams. Um, it's all about recruiting. Um, my, I'm on my phone constantly chasing players and and the way I was uh, describing it to someone, uh, that asked me a very similar question. It's just a bunch of voicemails. It's a bunch of phone calls, and it's just like kind of being in a cold call sales position, uh, of hearing a lot of no one answering, and then you get to call back or someone answers. And when they do answer, you got to be on. You got you to uh, explain why you're calling them, especially with agents. You want to build your relationships with these agents, especially at our level. So they, can, uh, they come to you if they have players and they give you an option to have them. And uh, they're trying to get these players jobs as well. So it's a ton of being on the phone, um, in the office quite a bit. The hours are way more strenuous during the year. I will say that. Uh, There's video. Instat is is something that we use that can allow us to watch a player that we might like and kind of see what kind of player they are. From sitting in my office, I can watch someone that's playing in Europe, let's say, and uh, see what kind of player they are. And it's not just going by stats and talking to their coach anymore. When we talk to these coaches nowadays, we want to know what kind of human they are. Um, But technology, luckily for us, uh, has allowed us to make our own coaching determination uh, if they're able to play for us and, and the capability of, the, of their game. Uh, I'm not going to lie, too. I really enjoy golfing, and I uh, uh, definitely get to play some golf as well and get to visit home And, and in uh, those moments in the summer where you get to kind of decompress at times, too. It's definitely necessary after a hockey season.
1: So at the East Coast level, I mean, uh, is more of the scouting – is more on you guys it sounds like or just uh you know guys that you know that are that are in the in the various leagues and universities or do you guys have a dedicated scout
2: yeah we have we have uh two scouts actually uh one that we kept on board the last couple of years and then the new head coach brought a, another scout and they're both in the Ontario area uh you know like we talked about at the very beginning the, the hockey community is pretty small so um I, I know a coach that started the Newman University program who is now uh, in Everett, uh, Dennis Williams. I'll call him. I'll call my past coaches and, um, you know, talk to the scouts about players. Uh, and I'll just chase a bunch of numbers for and I'll, and I'll uh, make communication with um, other coaches and, and try to not only just um, get to know them, but get to know if there's any players that they liked and get their opinion on what kind of person they were for them and, uh, go from there, and and you you keep notes of it. You uh, we have this big whiteboard here. He has a whiteboard in there. Uh, the head coach does, and uh, we just keep track of it. Who their agents are, and try to go from there.
1: Is it difficult? And correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not sure about this. Isn't there it, there's a maximum payroll for just East Coast uh, salaries? And and if so, and is it difficult to land some players because some might be waiting for the AHL contract.
2: Yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah. We have a salary cap here in our league and uh, we also have, um, yeah, there's, there's veteran rules. There's a bunch of league rules and, and uh, roster sizes that you have to keep your, um, your roster under your, under your limits. Now with that, that's all with the negotiation side of things that usually happens with the head coach and the agents. And and sometimes the players. I mean, uh, those talks don't happen right away, um, but but they do occur as well. Lightning
1: round questions. We're going to ask you some quick questions. You can answer however you want. If it's a story or just a name, it's great. So we're going to put you on the spot here, all right?
2: All right, let's go. All
1: right, here we go. I'll start. The toughest goalie to play against in your career. Who is the toughest goalie that you couldn't put the puck past?
2: oh man i i i I don't want to uh give him credit because he's probably one of my best friends in the world but ross mckinnon uh he, i played college with him i played pro with him he was always on my team and i won championships with him uh but we had such a great friendship that he no matter what never ever ever wanted me to score ever i could be at the end of practice and he just never wanted me to score ever uh so i think he would always put in the best effort uh uh, and that sense of things as far as the fun factor of it. But in, in a game, um, you know, as a defenseman, I don't think I scored more than 20 goals in my, in my career. Uh, but th- there's, gee, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Ross McKinnon. Not much of a lightning, lightning answer. <laughs> all right. Which arena <laughs> had the worst locker rooms? Ah, Whew, These are good questions that I, mean, I really have to think about. It. The worst dressing room was probably in – they they renovated they renovated it and and it's no disrespect but Wheeling was when I played Wheeling was uh, uh, old it was just old and it just seemed like you were in a gym like in a gym locker room. The funniest or most embarrassing thing to happen to you during a game? Oh, falling in warmups is always a, a good laugh <laughs> for everyone else at your expense. I've I've done that before. Um, yeah, I would say following a warm-ups. I, I try to not get draw attention to myself in, in every any aspect uh, I possibly could. But yeah, there's there's all those funny moments and yeah, I can think of, but yeah, following a warm-ups is definitely not good, especially for your teammates to to raz on you. <laughs> was there any player that you played against that
0: was a rat to you that just had the innate ability to get under, under your skin. skin?
1: Yeah.
2: Not even just fighting wise, somebody that was a rat. Um the guy that has the most fights I think in the Southern professional hockey league, I think his name was, uh, uh, Dennis Sicard. He was always just, he he would fight anyone and he was uh, undersized for a heavyweight, but he could fight really well. He would always, always, always come after me and he come after me. And he, like I said, he was undersized, but he was a heavyweight and he rarely wanted to fight our heavyweight or heavyweight was gigantic. And so he'd always come after me and it, it, it really always bothered me. And, uh, uh, when I played, but yeah, it, they're, they're valuable valuable players that that are ratty and he made a career of it so um yeah I would I would say him
1: was there a player that you just couldn't clear in front of the net somebody that was just like a rock you try to get him out from out of from the net and you just couldn't so who is yeah. the toughest player
2: yeah honestly I uh I played against Adam Pluskach, and he is at, uh, down in Tulsa there and he's a captain he's been there for several years and uh he's a heck of a hockey player he's made a great career for himself and he is a strong man i remember being in the corners with him because he's a forward he was a right winger on the left d uh go up against him in face he was always very 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 strong and he's a uh, explains why he's had such longevity in his career and why he's been able to produce and he goes around the net and he's good around there he's a strong man
1: let me follow up with this is not a lightning round question andrew um what's the difference between playing tough playing rough and then just being you know an asshole and playing dirty in front of the net what are some of the things what's the line for a player do you think
2: if the puck's there there's really no rules and in when you're a defenseman you do not want to be on the ice and you do not want to be kind of your guy that scores a goal so getting under the stick and and, you know cross-checking them out of there yeah there's crossing the line right there but you were Trying to prevent a goal, in, in any coach I ever had, and including nowadays the way I think is, um, you know, there's penalties that you that are good penalties, and there's penalties that are bad penalties. And yeah. if you're trying to prevent a goal, you, you know you you are going to do whatever you can be. I mean, I never really was, I never really butt end, I never took a misconduct or match penalty in my career. Uh, I butt ending people in the face, not me. I was never cross checking people in the face. There's that respect factor there but you're going to, if you're going to shove them out of the way, or they're already down and there's nothing wrong with shoving them again to get them away from your net. I mean, you want to help your goalie out. You want to keep the puck out of the net and obviously uh, win the hockey game. So those are all the factors that I'd be pretty willing to do whatever to get it out of there.
0: I know it's a broad question, but just to wrap it up, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say favorite hockey memory so far, so far?
2: (sighs) Can it be a childhood memory? Yes, sure. Anything. I I remember in 1997, Steve Eisman was my childhood idol and I was sitting on uh, the couch in my parents' living room with my mom and dad. And I think my grandfather was there when uh, he lifted the Stanley Cup, when they swept the Flyers. Obviously, everyone remembers the Darren McCarty goal. Um, You know, when he lifted the cup, I remember it was uh, uh, I was a child and it was the first time I think in my life I uh, cried through happiness of emotion. And I was young, so I would have been 10 years old. At that time and, and watching Steve Eisen do it my childhood idol the guy I always wanted to be at Ward 19 as a kid um, I think that was like the, the, the highlight of my childhood and then um, professionally just winning any championship uh, I've been very very lucky uh, I played for a junior coach Sheldon Keefe who's now the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs I won two championships with him I won an NCAA national championship and then I won three championships with the Pensacola Ice Flyers all of those championships are so fun and they're all different in their own way. And that's what makes them so, so great and memorable. And you never remember, or you never forget the players that you played with um, and sharing those moments with them. And, and that's something that no one can ever take from you, no matter if it is the Stanley cup or uh, an NCAA national title. It doesn't matter. It, it just is a great feeling. So what's on tap for you now. I'm, I'm sure a lot of players
1: are doing uh, camps with various uh, teams and so forth. When does uh... When does your training camp start, and when does everything start to really go into full-blown motion for you guys there?
2: Yeah, we've been lucky enough that we've sent nine guys to Tucson, uh, our AHL affiliate. Uh, So we have nine of our players down there right now. The head coach and I are leaving on Sunday to go down there to the AHL camp. While we are down there, uh, the rest of our players are going to be coming into, into town. Uh, They're going to get settled in. They're going to skate and and work out and uh, get all their physicals done. And then on October 10th, we have orientation where our camp opens, where um, our whole organization comes together and we all talk, uh, including team doctors to coaches, to vice president, to whoever uh, we have to through orientation. We'll have a meal that night. And then uh, October 11th, Monday morning, we are all systems go and it is go time. And uh, that that's really what we prepare all summer to do and there's been a lot to do this summer we've had a lot of turnover uh in a good way in our organization we've had our equipment manager go to the ahl now we have a new equipment manager a new head coach uh there's people in our front office that are new so it's a lot of acclimating others our athletic trainers new this year as well uh i've been the only person to stay on the hockey office department side so i've just tried to uh do my job help out any way i can and also learn others and in, in the way that they run their their part of the uh, our operation, So uh, we're, we're rearing to go here. We can't wait. Um, I mean, nothing's better than getting on the ice with the players and, and, and coaching hockey, uh, and having the best seat in the house and trying to win hockey games. And hopefully you're the next one on up to
0: be promoted too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we wish luck. Well, Jeremy, we can't thank you enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. we know you've got a busy schedule, but, uh, it's been great for us. Hopefully you had a good time of, uh, talking a little bit of hockey and a little bit about your career.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys very much for the time. Yeah. I, I really do appreciate it. I wish you guys the best. And whenever we're in Tulsa, hopefully uh, we can meet and uh, um, maybe go down to the cellar dweller for, for a cocktail maybe. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Jeremy Gates. Great guy. Yeah.
2: Great guest.
0: And uh, you know, cool to finally get some coaches. I know the previous episode we had Mark Strobel um, and now we've got Jeremy Gates. So you kind of have uh, different coach perspectives and different leagues and I thought, was, I thought it was a unique
1: episode. So, Yeah, and I mean, I could have asked a ton more questions just about uh, ECHL uh, environment and so forth like that, but uh, definitely wanted to get more of just his perspective and talk about his career. So, uh, you know, be great to have him on again, or if we ever meet one, we can ask more questions about ECHL in general. Absolutely. But a uh, great guy. Check him out six, four. I mean, he's 200 pounds. I yeah. mean, you know, he's saying he wasn't a heavyweight and you know, maybe he wasn't, but, uh, he kind of looks like a heavyweight to me. Yeah.
0: Well, he took care of himself too. If you look at the fights from, uh, SPHL. So. Right.
1: Great stay-at-home defenseman yep. cleared that front of the net real well and, uh, won a lot of championships in the leagues he was in. So, uh, great to have him on a great guy. And, uh, also he said he's trying to play guitar a little bit and yep. since we're musicians, we'll. Uh, Maybe we'll give him a few tips there next time he's in Tulsa. So we look forward to seeing him at some Tulsa games coming up in the, this season. All right, man. Well, sounds good. Well, great episode. I hope everybody has a good rest of the week. Take care.